Welcome to the Channel Champions Podcast, powered by Evolve IP, hosted by Zach Anderson. Today, we'll explore the always evolving landscape of the IT, telephony, and communications channel. If you are a trusted advisor, strategist, IT consultant, or sales engineer, this one's for you. Today's guest is... All right. This is the Channel Champions Podcast, Episode 8. I have my esteemed guest with me, Mr. Aram Bolduck. Um, today's episode is going to be all about an interesting angle because Aram has been on every side of the channel. He's been on the supplier side, he's been on the TSD side, and now he's on the partner side, the agent side, which is really cool. And I'm, I'm really excited to get your perspective, sir. So um, I'm sure I'm not doing your introduction justice. So tell everybody who you are and uh, we'll get this thing going. Uh, yeah. So you get, you got my name, right? Uh, Aaron Bolduck. And yeah, I'm uh, newer to the partner side. I think I'm on week seven. Um, but yeah, prior to this, I was uh, vice president of sales for the East Coast for Intellisys, um, was there for about five years. And then, yeah, I was on the supplier side of the company that is, or was called Megapath that is now folded underneath the fusion umbrella. And I was running the East Coast uh, channel team for for them and then various other roles in that organization and other companies before that. So yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, um, I was uh, telling Ryan, Lin- Ryan Lindsay, who I believe you have some experience with, <laughs> I do about doing an episode with you. And he started showing me all these pictures from back in the day. And I was like, Oh, man, you guys do go back. Um, So how did you and Ryan actually uh, meet and work together? I think I had hair uh, (laughs) when I met Ryan. Um, So uh, he was if I remember correctly, so that was back when the megapath days, uh, we're uh, I was managing a team of direct sellers uh, before I moved into the channel at the time. Uh, we supported partners, um, but mainly uh, we we did mostly direct sales. Uh, and Ryan, if I remember correctly, hadn't really made the jump into the sales organization yet. I think he was on the sales operations side, more of like the data and analytics and sales operation function. So he was helping me and uh, the team with some of that. So that's sort of how Ryan and I got to know each other. He was supporting me and the team and, uh, and we just, you know, hit it off with, uh, one East coast guy, one West coast guy. And, uh, we have a great relationship and still friends to this day for sure. It's crazy. It's such a small world. Um, this thing, the channel, um, especially, you know, I saw you at channel partners, but everybody just seems to know everybody. It's kind of strange, like, uh, just how interconnected everything is. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it is. And I, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure it's specific to the channel or even our industry, right? Like, uh, you know, I think, I think there's pockets of things all over the world, right? Like if, uh, like I play a lot of tennis, right? Like at a high level. And like, if you play tennis at a certain level, you tend to know the community at a certain level, right? Like, so if you've been in the channel for, you know, probably more than five years, three to five years, depending on where you work and what your exposure looks like, you know, like you're, you start to, create this big network and 
you know, and while Ryan, as an example, and I and some of the other call it now fusion employees are still in the channel, you know, like, and I don't interact with them or haven't in the last bunch of years, you know, like I see them at channel partners in Vegas and, you know, like we reminisce about old times and war stories and, you know, funny situations and right. Even though we don't, we don't interact, you know, anymore. It's fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to ask you about some war stories. So be thinking about those, but, um, I want to talk about the beginning of your journey in the technology space. And we were talking about, let's call it the, uh, the boiler room days. So tell me about, did you, did you say it was 99 when you officially got into the, the direct selling technology space? Yeah. Um, September of 99, I was the second uh, salesperson at a company called DSL.net back then. Uh, we were selling, DSL service to businesses replacing, you know, ISDN lines and frame relay and, you know, expensive T1s like, you know, 1.5 T1 was selling for over a thousand bucks a month at that point. We were selling, we were selling 192K symmetric DSL for uh, $200 a month kind of thing. It was like kind of crazy. And I got offered a job uh, out of school and they gave me MapQuest. And I remember my first central office was in McLean, Virginia. Uh, it's on Chainbridge Road. And they said, go into MapQuest, type in the, uh, the address of the central office, and then take MapQuest and draw a two-mile circle because uh, DSL is distance sensitive, right? And they said, call every business inside of two miles, try to sell DSL. And then I went 150 cold calls a day. I think it took me a few weeks to get through every business in a two mile radius. And then I went to my boss and said, uh, Hey, I did it, called everyone. And he said, All right, well, follow back up with everybody now and do it again. Right. Like, <laughs> so, and then we sort of like went through, I think the next one after that was Alexandria, Virginia. And, and it was just it, we were uh, we were just dialing for dollars at that point, and people were skeptic of DSL even at that point. Like, what? It, nobody even knew what it was, and you know, we we're selling like I want to say mostly 384k. I think was like the most common speed, right? Th imagine that 384k, and <laughs> right. It was uh, yeah, it was a fun environment. I was n the second sales rep ever hired. We grew to uh, I want to say it was about 115 sales reps at one point, like a year or two later. And but every time we got a sale, it was uh, you know you had to get up from your desk, you had to walk over to the fax machine, wait for a fax to come in, then you would walk over to a big whiteboard, you know, write down like name of the company, what you sold, and then you rang like this bell, and people looked up and that kind of stuff and. Yeah, we used old uh, tactics, literally, like on the phone with prospects, going, "Okay, you're going to sign it. You're going to send it right now. Uh, I'm going to walk. I'm hanging up. I'm going to walk over to the fax machine, and I'm going to wait for it. So if you're if you say you're sending it now, like don't leave me hanging, standing by the fax machine. And that was a real thing. We even had this guy Joe who uh, was a handicapped gentleman, and you know he was in a wheelchair, and we used to hear him all the time. He was pretty successful. He used to say, hey, "I'm in a wheelchair." You know, I'm hanging up. I'm going to roll all the way over to the fax machine. And, you know, it's on the other side of the building. You know, don't make me go all the way over there if you're not sending it now kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> he did. He did really well. I don't know what ever happened to him, but he did really well. He was a nice guy. That was pretty wild. So how long were you there um, until you moved? Was that like your 
you know, was it, was it, you started there and then you moved into the the supplier side or what was the process there? Like, yeah, so that was the, they were a supplier, right? Oh, so, okay. and then, yeah, they were a supplier. So we were direct sales. Uh, I did the cold calling thing for about two years at 150 dials a day for about two years straight. Thought we were on top of the world. I was like, I started at maybe like 22 years old, make sick. I was, I think my, my salary was something like 28 or 29 grand, but you know, like, uh, but I made like over six figures as a 22 year old. And I thought, thought I had the world all sewn up. I thought it was, uh, you know, uh, we were going out to expensive lunches every day and like, it was kind of crazy. And then, uh, the dot com bubble started to burst and I, and layoffs and, I watched grown men, you know, losing their job and crying and stuff like that. So that was the that was the hard part. That was probably 2002, 2003, somewhere in that that range. Um, mm. But yeah, it was uh, that was a tougher part watching watching that go down. Where were you at around the uh, 2008, um, you know, recession period? Yeah, 2008, I had just, um, so I left, um, I was one of the last. So we went from, like I said, the second sales rep all the way up to like 115 sales reps and then layoffs. I want to say in 2003 is when I end up leaving the SL net um, in the final layoff. I was one of the last eight people and they got rid of the entire sales organization at the time. Um, so I, I was there and then went up and then on the way back down and then, uh, and then I was a high school um, teacher for a few years. Um, no kidding. Huh. Yep. I said, you know, I'm watching grown men cry and all this. This is a crazy business. I'm getting out of this thing. I don't know what this is about. So, so I went to become a high school teacher. I was coaching the wrestling team and the tennis team and teaching tennis in the summer times and bartending weddings and all of that. And then I did that for a few years. And right about 2008, a friend of mine... Uh, who I had worked with at DSL and that said, um, Hey, why don't you come? We're looking for salespeople. Why don't you come back and jump into this thing? And uh, I said, you know what? I was, I was working like seven jobs to make like, I don't know, 75 or 80 grand. Unfortunately, teachers, teachers in the beginning don't get paid uh, as much as they should. Um, sure. It's a thankless job, I guess they have to deal with so much stuff and they don't really make decent money until they've been there for, you know, 10 or more years kind of thing. Right. Like, right. so, Right. So it's tough. So I went back into uh, 2008, went back to a company called Megapath who had consumed DSL.net. Um, so, and uh, so I, I was a direct sell sales guy, um, not only doing direct sales, but some partners um, at, the, at the time. And then I worked my way up from 2008, um, starting there. Uh, we had 300 or so sales reps in 2010. I was a number one sales rep out of 300 or so. And then I got wow. a couple couple promotions like up through the stack. So yeah, that was fun. That's great. What do you think yeah. made you the top sales person there? I mean, what, what is it? What is it about your process or, or your delivery and, and stuff like that that made you successful? Um, I would say, uh, and if Steve Gerhardt ever he hears this, he would probably agree with me. I would say you just have to outwork everybody, right? It's, uh, it wasn't, it was nothing, but I, I can't tell you, I'd like to tell you that it was finesse and something more about me, but I would say it was probably br brute strength of in willpower at the time, right? I would say I was getting, I was a single guy, no kids, 
And I had just got done working, you know, call it, you know, seven jobs. And I knew what not making real money looked like at the time. Right. And then, uh, you know, and then I could only, I only had to focus on one job. So I was there probably 645, seven o'clock every single morning, first one in. And I was there till probably 637 o'clock at night, last one out. So I was working like 12 hour days, just, just grinding. You know, and telling my girlfriend at the time, like, oh, you like those dinners we're going out on Saturday night? This is how I do it. Right. Like, and so it was, uh, I had, like I said, I was single with no responsibilities, you know, so I was just trying to capitalize and make as much money as I could. So I, ju- I just put in lots and lots of hours. Right. Mm. Like, and I never got up. I, I never got up. I got up to go, you know, to the fax machine, go to the bathroom, go get something to eat, you know, but I was never the guy in the office. You know, we were all in an office, kind of like boiler room setting at that time. I was never really, uh, I was never really the guy just standing up by the water cooler, you know, shooting the breeze. Mm-hmm. At the time, you know, you're this, you're the number one sales guy. I mean, what was driving you? What was your, what was your why at the time? Money. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like I, I mean I have a wa- I have a watch upstairs that I got like this tag watch for being the number one guy and like I think a lot of people like like the pat on the back and the accolades and all that stuff but I, like literally I'm telling you uh you know I watched I you know like I, I watched people that didn't work as hard as me and weren't as talented maybe as I was, you know, like make more money than me. And it just sort of drove me crazy. So I was mm-hmm. like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to make it happen. And I, you know, like I, I, I like nice things and I, I just wanted to make as much money as possible. And like I said, I didn't have any distractions, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have like, you know, a family and, you know, things to take me away. Right. And I think that's a lot of the, 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 the hard part when you're trying to balance some of those, those things. Right. So it's, uh, is you get, you get, you get consumed with, you know, spending time with family or things, you know, things that take you away from your, your focus. And when you're single with nothing else going on, like it's, it's not that difficult to just say, Hey, I'm going to grind this out. Right. You know? Well, I mean, were you, you know, you say money, which I think obviously that makes sense, but like, was there, a place that you were trying to get to financially or was there like a thing you were looking to, you know, was it a, was it a house? Was it a, a boat? You know, what, what was it that you were working towards? No, no, I I wish, I wish I could say that, that there was something, it was just making as much as possible. I liked back then I was, I don't know, we're talking 2010. So, you know, it was nice to get a check for, you know, fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars you know, commission check that month kind of thing. Right. Like, so it was, uh, you know, it was, it was fun, right. To see the yeah. money coming in and I don't know, it was like, you make money and, you know, I don't know. I, w- I wish I could say that it was something specific that I was trying to save up for or whatever. I just, I just wanted as much as I could consume. And I, I had a fear maybe, uh, that it wouldn't last forever. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was trying to capitalize on it because I had already seen it in 2003, like thinking that I had the world, you know, in the palm of my hand kind of thing. And then all of a sudden I don't have a job and going back to work seven places and whatever. So it's like, okay, is this going to happen again? So maybe a fear of like, make as much money as you possibly can because you never know if it's going to go away again. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's just like a general sense of hunger, but I think, um, when you're selling anything, when it, whenever you're working towards something, I think it's an interesting 
sort of like dichotomy of what success looks like. Like you're either, I feel like you're either working towards something or you're, you're you know, like you said, like there's a sense of fear that you could lose it. And it's just an interesting sort of, you know, type, type of mindset that people get into um, that I, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I like hearing about what, what compels people to do this or that. And like, what does success actually look like? And for some, like for you, it just seems like <clears throat> just having that stability was the epitome of the success. And I think there's, you know, I think there's uh, credibility to that for sure. But for some, you know, it's like, I've got to get to here, you know, or I've got to get to this next level, but it's, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I, um, I think, I think people, some people want to be, you know, they want financial freedom, right? They want the ability and what that looks like is different for everybody, but they want the, uh, you know, they either want to like get to a certain number and never have to work again, or they want for financial freedom might be to a point where, they still work, but they only work on the things that they want to work on or feel like they have to work on. Right. Like, um, you know, it's, but I think like going back to, you know, and I wasn't part of that generation, but call it like the real recessions, right. Like the, like the great depression type of thing. Right. Like, it's like, you know, like those are real hard times. And like my parents and grandparents and, you know, like my grand, I guess my grandparents, they, they, they saved money and, you know, like didn't spend it on, you know, frivolous things and like whatever else, like, like people do now. Right. Like, so it's cause we don't, mm-hmm. we haven't really seen true hardship, but I was just, it's funny enough. I was just talking to somebody yesterday and they were like, they did just come back from a trip in South Africa. And they were talking about like how a good portion of the population is still living like these aluminum, call it shacks. Right. Like, and even if you're really wealthy, they shut the power off for, you know, six to eight hours a day, you know, for everybody, they do like waves of power outages, like in South Africa, every single day, like, it's crazy to think that that's going on. And we're all sitting here in the United States, like, you know, comfortable and making a living and whatever else, right? Like, so it's, you know, but recently, and we'll get into this, I'm I'm, I'm assuming, you know, like, as I as I move into call it the partner side of business, and I don't have a salary anymore or a commission structure or a, you know, monster call it $5 billion company that IntelliSys and ScanSource are, you know, like sort of like feeding me and my family for the work that I do every day. Right. Like it's, it's different. So I have this little different set of call it hunger and, you know, what if, if I, if I don't work today, my family doesn't make any money. Right. right. So it's, it's a, so I'm back a little bit in that, I don't want to say scared mindset, but it's, it's a little unnerving. So you, you you got to do what you got to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely want to get into um, what you're doing now, but the piece in the middle is what I want to get to next. So you, you had a ton of success as call it an, you know, independent contributor, you know, salesperson, sales guy. Right. So from there, tell me about the jump that you made to the TSD side of things. And what, what year was that? Yeah. So before, when I went from an individual contributor, before I went to the TSD side, I I moved up the stack through management, right? So um, that was a little bit of a different move for me, but I tried to do it because, uh, you know, at the, you know, years prior, I was coaching, like I said, when I was teaching, I was coaching the wrestling team, the tennis team, doing all that. So I really like the coaching aspect of things and I like helping people. So I said, yeah, like, I'll try management, right? So, and I like that. So I went from the manager to the director to the vice president. And then at the time, 
you know, Dan Foster, who's the current, you know, CRO over at Tolaris right now, you know, he was, I was reporting directly to him and he said, Hey, um, I want you to, you've been my Swiss army knife. You got this other side of the business, the direct side, the client account sales side, like all of that on cruise control, the channel's struggling for our, our company. Like, why don't you go over there? So I went over there and started building a team and really getting out into the channel itself. Right. And, um, and then a couple of years later, I was at an event and, you know, I was at one of these like top golf events and, uh, and I got paired up with Rick Rebus, who at the time was running the East coast for Intellisys and, you know, we're hitting golf balls and talking and whatever else. And then, then like a week later, we had jumped on the phone with each other and, and, uh, we were talking about some work stuff and, and, uh, and then he said, Hey, would you ever consider, you know, coming to work with us? And, uh, and it sparked my interest because I'm now I'm watching like par- really successful partners, like make a good living and sort of that really attracted me. I'm like, yeah, maybe one day I'll be a partner kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. hadn't thought about going to the TSD side, but as soon as Rick opened that up and opened up my mindset, I said, you know, yeah, I think maybe that's the next progression. You know, like I know what the supplier side is like. I don't know what the TSD side's like. So that's really interesting. And to be offered a job at the largest, you know, TSD out there, like, I'm like, that's really intriguing to me. And then, um, and then maybe I'll learn, learn enough from the partner community and learn that other side of the business enough to maybe one day jump to the partner side. So that was, that was all part of the plan. And then when I resigned from Megapath to Dan Foster, he said, why are you doing it? And I said, you know, like open up you know, my view and see it from a different lens and, you know, maybe one day be a partner. And Dan, as a friend said, you know, uh, from a business standpoint, I don't want you to go. All right. But as a friend, I think it's a good move for you. You should, you should do it. Right. Like, so, uh, so yeah, I transitioned over that side and immediately saw a difference in how things are viewed and uh, the relationships between uh, the partners are different, right? Like you, mm-hmm. You know what the partners share with you on the on the supplier side and how they interact with you on the TSD side is a little bit different, right? Like they mm-hmm. um, they give you a little bit more insight, and I'm seeing it even even more different. And we'll get to it, I'm sure, but like even more different. Like my partner to partner now, you know, interactions and conversations are different than they were, you know, ten minutes ago when I was in Intellisys. Right. So how did your or, or or I guess did your view change of suppliers when you did jump over to the TSD side, obviously coming from the supplier? Yeah, it did. Um, it changed a lot because of uh, it really opened my eyes to how many suppliers are out there. And while you think about that from the supplier side, it's like, all right, well, whatever supplier you're working at right now, you're like, okay, here are the people that I'm really competing with. It's these, you know, three, four, five, whatever. But like, you don't realize that like, and I already mentioned Steve Gerhardt, so I'll mention him again, right? Like, so as a supplier, you're calling Steve Gerhardt and you're, and you're saying, Hey, you know, sell our stuff. Let me get, you know, 30 minutes with you, sell our stuff, right? Like until I was really on the TSD side, I didn't realize how much the, the supplier community goes after the TSDs in terms of like trying to get the attention and mm-hmm. the partners. And guys like Steve Gerhardt and people at the TSDs, they have 200 people calling them all of the time, right? right? Like maybe not 200, but there's 200 options maybe out there for each TSD or or so, right? And then it's 
And there's really like 50 or 60 really, really active like suppliers inside of that 200, right? But, it, you know, and then if you're a partner and you're maybe signed on with multiple TSDs, mm-hmm. you're getting it from, you know, you're getting it from, you know, a even bigger, you know, group of supplier community and an even bigger group of TSDs and like whatever else. So it's, it's, uh, so my mindset did, did change the 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 ecosystem became much bigger, right? Mm. When I went to the TSD side, because you're really just thinking about who you're competing with in your space as a supplier, mm. you know. What do you what do you mean by um, there are more active suppliers with the TSDs than than not? Yeah, what I mean by that is uh, let's just say let's just use Intellisys as an example, right? So Intellisys okay. has let's just say two hundred or a little over two hundred suppliers and under in their sort of supplier community, there are suppliers underneath inside of that two hundred that are maybe not as active. Maybe they're mm. niche players. They're they have a they're trying to sell something that isn't relevant to every partner, right? Like uh, when a and every partner is different, right? Their business is different. Who they're selling to is different. How they're built is a little bit different, right? But like, um, I'm not going to single any specific supplier out, but like some right. of the suppliers have these massive, you know, um, sales organizations. I'll just call it like the Ring Centrals, the Zooms, mm-hmm. the, you know, whatever, right? Like those types of people, they have like, you know, they have a channel manager in every market. Lumen has like five, I think, channel managers in New York City, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there are other suppliers in the ecosystem that have one for the Northeast or say one for the entire East Coast. And, you know, like they're, they're believe it or not, there's a couple of suppliers in the ecosystem that have like five people in the entire channel, right? Like, right. So it's like they are they have a niche play. So they're not maybe as active. They don't show up at every event, right? All the major events or, you know, they don't, they don't do the local regionalized events or they don't have time maybe, or the resources to call the TSDs or the partner community as much as some of the other, some of the other suppliers out there that who who do have armies. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I mean. So you got 200 and, but you really have like 60 that are active, like a lot. Right. So your time at Intellisys, would you say that the success of the supplier in the channel was dictated by the amount of activity that they were that they were uh you know participating in or or the amount of you know i mean what what did you know and this is more selfishly for me now just because I'm curious coming from the supplier side but um you know did you see that the more successful suppliers were the ones that were you know, was it the fact that they had a larger army, like you said, like more interaction or, or what do you think contributed most to the success of the suppliers when you were there? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I think there's no silver bullet f- for the question, but I do think that there's a, there is a big, there's a couple different facets to it, right? Like, so I think, I think that the number one, it's, um, I think it's product, Right. Like you have to be, you have to be at a supplier who has a product that the partner community and their customers are going to need or want. Right. So you have to have some sort of product. Number two, it's, uh, it is the activity or, um, in underneath activity, it's responsiveness or even proactive activity. Right. It's, it's having 
that constant outreach to the TSD team, right? Whether it's the local channel manager, or whether it's the supplier, you know, manager, whether it's the partner support team that's quoting, you know, uh, things for the partner community, whether it's, and then it's, and then it's activity to the partner community. It's, um, it's calling them at a specific cadence, making sure they're aware of what's going on, right? like where they're a, uh, a fit, right? That kind of thing. I, I think that um, my time at Intellisys would tell you that like, I've been on multiple QBRs, but I've told suppliers like, listen, you guys are under the Intellisys umbrella now. You've gone through the process of coming into the into the ecosystem. Now, you, now the work begins, right? You can't just think that, you know, just because you're under the umbrella and you're available and you're in the website and that, you know, deals are going to magically fall from the sky. And, you know, like you actually have to, you have to be in front of the, the TSD team. You have to be in front of the partners. And a lot of times top of mind gets you an opportunity or two. Mm-hmm. And then it's performance uh, once you do get deals, right? I mean, there are suppliers that are out there that, you know, do really well on the first, you know, one, two, three deals. And then they, and then the, the partner community will probably latch onto that and be their go-tos forever. Right. Like, and, and then there are suppliers out there that, you know, you get the first deal or two and they don't perform well. And the partner is never going to sell them again. Right. Mm-hmm. Like never going to give them a shot. So it's, you know, you know, and a lot of it has to do with, I think, uh, not everything is perfect, you know, in the in our world, right? Um, so things are going to go wrong. A lot of it has to do with how how the supplier reacts to the things when when things do go wrong that establishes loyalty and credibility and whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and and you know, and then there's another probably another layer there of who's working at the supplier supporting the partners and do the partners trust that person? Right. So it's, uh, if you have a good, if you have a really good reputation and relationship for getting things done and being responsive and helping, then partners are like, no matter where you go, partners will at least give you a look or, you know, um, and give you a chance to perform kind of thing. Right. So, mm-hmm. but if, but if you're on the supplier side and I've seen this, I've unfortunately, I've seen this where you're really responsive. You know, getting the quote, getting the deal. And then if something, you know, doesn't go so well and you reach out to the channel manager as a supplier and you ask for help and the supplier channel manager gives you the 800 number to call in to support, you're probably not going to get the uh, the reaction that you're hoping for from the partner anymore. Mm-hmm. That makes a ton of sense, obviously. Um, so you'd be surprised, you know, somebody told me a long time ago, common sense isn't very common. No, that's, that's, <laughs> I would tend to agree with you. Um, so what was it like? I, I want to get into kind of some technology. Um, what was it like, you know, working through COVID and, you know, cause obviously you were, you were at Intellisys during that time. So, what was it like, like seeing what became popular or what became sort of necessary technology-wise during that time? I mean, what what did you see then that has kind of stuck through to today? Yeah, that's interesting because the um, when COVID first hit, 
obviously everybody went remote, right? Well, not, I mean, not obviously, but people went remote. So there was a big shift. Even, even companies like ScanSource who never really wanted uh, remote workers, um, you know, outside of Intellisys, like um, they shifted to, I think, I think they shifted to 100% remote in the matter of like, you know, 48 hours kind of thing uh, for mm-hmm. a couple thousand employees. And that was, that was a first for the company. If I'm remembering correctly. Right. So like, and that's just an example of like what really shifted. Right. Like, and I remember hearing something like, you know, ScanSource sold the most amount of headsets in like the company history in the shortest amount of time because everybody was working from home and being on their computers. And, you know, it, I mean, if you remember, it shifted from like phone, cell phone conversations to everything was, you know, turned to video calls and working through COVID. Uh, at Intellisys, I remember my calendar was, you know, back to back to back to back. And I would almost argue that I had more meetings going on during COVID than I did, you know, prior to COVID because, you know, a lot of times I was in the car, going to people's offices, going to events, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, when everybody was stuck, you know, working on over video calls, it like you had the ability to just jump from one call to the next kind of thing. So you mm-hmm. get a lot more, um, Things have stuck, obviously, right? Like some of that's still going on. It's I talked to some people in like commercial real estate recently, and you know, they're while people are still, some of them are going back to the office, or you know, like they they downsize their offices. Like um, you know, people are really want work from home. I was at a six year old birthday party over this past weekend, and. I was talking to a, one of the fathers and he's like, yeah, I'm looking for a new job, but it has to be work remote, you know, just because they've built into their lives over the last couple of years, like, you know, dropping the kids off at school and picking them up from school and like whatever else and being around. And, you know, it's uh, so I think it really did accelerate and change the world. I think a lot of like, whether it's like remote desktop, mm-hmm. shout out to, uh, you know, Evolve. Right. Like, or it's, um, or it's even like, you know, UCAS and CCAS, like things have evolved over the last couple of years and it's really accelerated things. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and it's funny as I've uh, on the partner side, now that I'm talking to end user customers, you know, uh, I'm, I'm working on a call it a 300 seat opportunity right now. Right. Like, and, um, that was a, um, they traditionally have a 2010, they bought an Avaya IP office and they have mm-hmm. 300 call it handsets across the buildings that they have. And now we're, you know, we're, we're looking at replacing their whole phone system. And out of 300 seats, I think they want like 75 actual phones now, right. Between like, between like apps on their cell phones with UC and, you know, soft phones, you know, you can run through a computer and video calls and, you know, whether it's Zoom or Teams or whatever it might be like, you know, um, that's that's really changed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's becoming more and more common now to not actually have a desk phone. Right. Yeah. And that's that's been the most interesting thing for me. Um, you know, I've talked about this a few times, but I'm still pretty new to the channel, to the technology space. Um and when I got over here, I was just shocked at how much uh, capability was integrated inside of Microsoft Teams. Because before, you know, my my previous role, we used Teams, but we used it for, you know, the basic file share, you know, video calls, chat, stuff like that. But coming over here and, you know, I open up my 
little calling uh, tab and I see like literally a dial pad. It's just, it's just crazy. Um, so like from your perspective, you know, everybody sells teams, right? Um, and I'm, one thing I wanted to ask you before I get off too off track is like how it's sort of commoditizing, right? So how are you going to navigate the different suppliers now that you're on the partner side, given that everybody sells teams, like the, the opportunity you were just talking about, you probably have, 10 different suppliers that could solve that, um, you know, that could solve for that solution or, or those, those issues. So how, how are you going to navigate that moving forward? Yeah, I, I think, well, I think you have to do a a certain level of discovery, um, in, in I'm finding, and I knew this at IntelliSys too, but, um, you know, the more questions you ask, the more sort of filtered down things become. Right. Like, so if I say, hey, are you a team's environment to a customer? They say yes. Right. Does that mean that they're, you know, I have to go one step below that. Or do they want native teams or they just want like a plug in for teams? Right. Like, do they want, you know, like, do they actually want to be on the platform? And I know, like, again, it's going to sound like a commercial for Evolve, but you guys are you guys are one of a few that are true native teams. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so so it's. um so I think you just have to qualify it to your point. It's like the more and more you qualify, the more and more you go through discovery and, you know, I'm not going to be specific about, you know, TSDs, but like, or even the suppliers for that matter, like will help with, you know, if you're a little uncomfortable per se, like with certain technologies or, you know, like they'll give you the resources and the questions to ask so that you can continue to go down and down and down and make sure that, you know, you're, you're getting to a certain point, you know, like uh, I can go into a specific tool that one of the TSDs has and, you know, go through the questions and move it all around. But like, until you start really like, not every question's in there, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and, and, and then once you get through it, like, let's just say I can boil that 300 seat opportunity down to a specific, call it three suppliers in the community on generalized questions and discovery now I go out to the customer site and I, and I know that, okay, they have uh, a certain type of wiring that's outdated or they want specific types of, they want to repurpose specific types of phones. And it's not Greenfield, right? Like, and that like inside of those three that were there that, you know, say we're in the tool or suggestions, it's like, okay, well, you know, like I went to one of the major UCAS suppliers for this opportunity a couple of weeks ago and they said, oh yeah, like we don't support that analog phone. Right, that, that, that the customer wants to keep out in their manufacturing plant. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, the, the customer doesn't want to replace those, you know, call it 30 phones in their, their operation on their manufacturing plant. So, so now that supplier is essentially maybe out, right? Like, so now it's down to two. So it's, right. I think it's, it's not a one size fits all. I think you really have to understand the customers. And that's really where they like, everybody wants to, you know, glamorize the partner side of the business, but there, there really is a lot of work that's being done, um, with the, uh, with the customers, right. To make sure Mm -hmm. that you're not screwing things up. Right. Right. It certainly is an interesting relationship. And that was one of the most interesting things for me coming into this was like, what exactly the role of the technology advisor, agent partner, whatever you want to call it, was in the sort of sales cycle when you know purchasing technology solutions um and one thing that i'm i'm curious to know since you know you've just started your company is like 
what is, I mean, do you have a good handle on what your, what your go to market is? I mean, do you feel like, um, you know, it's gotta be, it's gotta be tough too, because like, you know, you, you have all these relationships on the TS, you know, on the TSD side, you have all these relationships on the supplier side. Like what, what is that like coming into this market? Um, you know, I mean, tell me, tell me about that. I'm just, I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Cause so, you know, coming from IntelliSys, uh, like on the TSD side, right? Like, so coming from IntelliSys, like, obviously I'm very comfortable with IntelliSys, right? Like I'm, I'm comfortable with the people that are there, the platform that's there, like sort of second nature. Like I understand all the resources that are available. I know all the people and where to go and what to do there. Right. Like, um, so like, so, you know, everybody was always asking me in Vegas this last year, like, Hey, now that you're on the partner side, like, yeah. So, so the answer to the question is yes, I'm signed up with IntelliSys, right? Like, um, so, um, but I would say like to other, other partners out there, it's not necessarily a one size fits all, right? Like, I think if you're, there are call it three or four sort of like major options out there. And I think you have to figure out like who you best you know, mesh with and who provides the most value to you. Right. Like I, I'm not going to, um, I, you know, like 10 minutes ago, I was telling everybody that IntelliSys was the, the best place to go. So I, I'm not going to change my tune on that, you know, like just because I'm on this side, mm-hmm. but I would tell you, like, I would tell you that it's opened my eyes a little bit. Like, um, there's another TSD out there that's been, you know, obviously I think a couple of them want my business outside of IntelliSys, right? Like they want everybody's business, right? No surprise there. And I, and I think that each one of them offers maybe something a little bit different. Maybe one of them is offering a higher split percentage. Mm, you know, that's really what their, what, what their sort of value prop is, right? Another is, you know, like they have more insight in, um, in tools and, you know, like, they want, you know, like, I think every partner needs to figure out like where the value for their business really is. Right. Like, so it's, um, and what's going to help them get to where they want to be. You know, it's maybe I lost track of what the question is there. Um, but the, I've been telling, I know for me, the go to market has been, you know, like I'm going after everything that moves right now. I'm not being specific about, you know, um, the type of the the type of customer or even the size of the customer at this point, as I've been doing this for 10 minutes, I don't have the luxury of saying, Hey, you know, like I'm not going to go after anything that has less than like a $5,000, you know, a month price tag on it. Right. Like where, where other established partners have told me that like, Hey, if it's not, if it's not billing more than five grand, I don't go after it. It's not a waste of, it's a waste of my time. And, you know, like the smaller deals, you know, are bigger problems a lot of times. And while I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I just don't have the luxury of saying no to anybody at this point. Right. Yeah. Like as, as I start my business, maybe someday, but, um, and then a lot of partners just recently, you know, and I'm collaborating with a lot of partners on it, they're saying, Hey, some of those small deals are worth taking because you don't know who they know or where those people might go, you know, a, a year or two, five years from now. Right. Like maybe, they, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the IT director goes and works at a larger company and they bring you with them, you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it is very interesting though, um, being on this side now and, in you know, everybody glamorizes the partner side because I think, cause they see the financial or potential financial upside because of, 
you know, spiffs and residuals and they like whatever else, but it's hard, it's hard work. And there is a lot of pressure on people to, to bring in the right supplier and make sure that, you know, even once the supplier is selected, that the project gets implemented and is supported correctly. And, you know, like, and it's, it's a lot of pressure. The last thing you want to do is, you know, um, like I said, mess something up or, you know, bring in a supplier that underperforms and you've utilized maybe a personal relationship to get into that, that end user customer or someone, you know, referred you in there, whatever. And it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of pressure to make sure that you don't mess something up, you know, um, right. you know, and it's, there's a lot more, it's, it's not like, you know, the phone's ringing off the hook and people are going, Hey, I need a new fiber circuit or a new phone system, or, Hey, I have this like IOT project or, Hey, you like help us optimize our AWS spend or like whatever it might be. Like the phone's not ringing for that stuff, right? You have to go and you have to find it. And, um, and not every deal is as clean as, Hey, we're opening a new business in this new location. Can you help us out? Right? Like it's, right. it's not as easy as that. Right. So it's, uh, there's a lot involved, but I, I will say, you know, a lot of people have asked me in, in Vegas this year, they asked me like, Hey, what are you going to focus on? And, uh, you know, I, I'm not at a point where I can answer that question in terms of like having a laser focus on like one specific technology or solution or type of, you know, profile of customer or that kind of thing. I'm, I'm going after everything. And I've been telling IntelliSys partners for years to sell across, you know, yeah. sell everything you possibly can. And even if you can't sell it, you know, ask the questions. So that you understand like where your customer is and what they're spending money on or what their projects look like or what their aspirations might look like at some point. And then utilize the, you know, either the engineering staff at the TSDs or, you know, the supplier community to to help you co-sell some of those things. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. it's really surprising how um, undersaturated I've, I'm finding the market. I'm finding lots mm-hmm. and lots of opportunities. Good. Um, you know, and surprised, to be honest. I mean, we, I have a lot of really good, successful partners around just my geographic area that I feel like are um, really successful and smart people and people I consider my friends. And uh, they, I call into a nine person company is a good sized company, right? Like it's, so it's, uh, so it's interesting. There's a lot of business out there for sure. Right. I think you just need to find an angle. But the other thing I've noticed right, is right. cold calling doesn't necessarily work. And I think that's a function of telemarketing being yeah. oversaturated and potential security risks, obviously, in in the world right now. Yeah. And, you know, like such I think it was your earlier point. You need to, you need a way in. Right. You need to. Yeah. It's uh, referrals are like the or like the major way in. Right. So it's it's. So it's finding out how to how to leverage or how to find people that will refer you business, right? You know, mm. yeah. It's it's uh, you know of the conversations that I had, it's definitely interesting to you know think about how you're uh, as a partner um, suggesting different solutions and stuff like that. And just like you said, you know, you have to, you know you have to sell across the stack. And I think that's a good, a a good point. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, just from my experience, I think partners get, so they get used to selling a certain product set or or they get comfortable. And so like, you know, just like we talked about the commoditization of, of teams, like if you're call it a, a team's hammer, 
everything's going to look like a team's nail, right? So how would you, um, you know, especially coming from the TSD side, like what advice would you give to other partners and maybe even yourself, like to not become a one solution um, sort of partner? Yeah, I I think I I haven't been doing it long enough to to fall into a, a groove, right? In mm-hmm. terms of like or, or path of least resistance. I think I'm I'm still very open minded into everything. So, what's been working for me is asking customers like, hey, you know, let me uh, let me take a look at your technology spend, right? Like, let's sit down and go over like what your what your technology ecosystem looks like, right? Like, what are you spending money on, and what and and how it like how is it helping your business, right? And that could be as simple as like you know internet access, but like when I start to ask them like. When I when I start to go through it all, like what's your backup look like? What's your do you, you know your public or private cloud look like? Like what's you know like when things go wrong, what happens? You know like mm-hmm. when you start to really like dive into those questions, you get a full scope of like what's going on at the business. And one of the things that I'm finding is a lot of these end user customers have like have like an outsourced, especially some of the smaller ones. Call it the 20, 30, 50 employee companies. They have like very limited resources on like I- internal IT, right? So they're using, a lot of them are using like outsourced IT companies. So mm-hmm. like, and, and like, I, they're also send me, sending me or showing me like what they're spending with those companies. And I'm, and, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, like getting my head wrapped around everything and listen, like there might not be something that they're working on in terms of a project now. Um, but you know, like, but you can you can get a full sense of everything that they're doing to get like to get your head wrapped around it, and then you know three months from now, eight months from now, maybe some you you know you find out like you know you get their contract end dates, and then you you know you go to them a year from now and you go, hey, you know, last year we looked at everything in your ecosystem, and it looks like your you know your current UCAS solutions up for renewal in six months. You know, are you happy with them? Are you good with it? If you are, then great. Like, we, let's not make a switch, but I wanted to make sure that you knew that, right? That that's coming up on renewal. And if, if you wanted to make a change, now's the time to take a look at that, right? Like that kind of stuff. Or if it's, hey, is your, you know, like what's what's going on in your business in terms of compliance? Maybe th- something's changing, right? Like, hey, what about, you know, I'm in this manufacturing uh, space right now, right? For a couple of opportunities. And, and I said, hey, have you ever really looked at like IoT and... They looked at me and were like, I, no, I, we don't even know what you're talking about. And I said, okay, like, I'm not talking about like, you know, your refrigerator being connected to the internet. I'm talking about like, have you looked at, you know, call it thin air as an example, right? Have you looked at like, you know, IoT sensors for asset tracking or, you know, whatever it might be, like improving efficiency in your business? And, and they're like, no, we didn't like, no, but tell us more about that. And the way that I've looked at it is and sort of consulted them is, and listen, my job is not just to work on the projects that you have going on right now. It's to make you aware of the things that are out there, right? So my advice maybe is is to the customers to say, hey, even if you don't make want to make a change, let me show you or give you, you know, like an idea on what's potentially out there, whether you want to do the project in the next few months or you want to do it two years from now. It's good information for you to know that's available to you. Right. Like, especially some of these, like call it I, 
you know, IT people or, you know, whoever, whoever they are, technology people inside of the business. It's like, mm-hmm. if a problem is brought to them by somebody in finance or wherever, right? They, at least they're knowledgeable of like what's actually going on out there. Right. Like, mm. you know, it's, it's interesting. Cause I just, uh, I'm going after everything. Right. So it's like, you know, again, just over this past weekend, I'm sitting at the pool at, you know, my golf club and, I just asked, you know, a guy that I've known forever, but never really like pressed on from a work perspective. I'm like, what do you do again? And he was like, oh, you know, I'm in a family business. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like I knew that. But like, what is it? He goes, oh, we own, you know, a bunch of residential uh, properties. I'm like, okay, what's that look like? And he's like, oh, we own like, you know, 800 units here and 600 units there. And, you know, like that kind of thing. And while the channel doesn't do a lot in residential, there are opportunities there, right? Whether you're using like a like Spectrum or you're using Luxpeed or one of those companies that, that does like multi-dwelling units, like there's an opportunity there to make make some money in in that space uh, in the channel, right? So it's uh you know I, like I'm saying to the build you know the business owner the family you know um, owns a bunch of the buildings. I'm like, did you know that you can buy a bulk rate from Comcast or Spectrum or wherever else, and you can get you can get, you know, financial, you know, incentives to offer it to the tenants. And they're like, no, I, no, I had no idea. Like, what are you talking about? Kind of thing. Or, you know, they knew about it, but never really dove into it kind of thing. But there's some real money there for partners as well, as well as, uh, so it's, I'm not leaving anything on the table, long story short. Yeah. Does it ever get, um, overwhelming like all of what you know or what you've come to know about different solutions and like is it hard not to just regurgitate everything (laughs) onto the uh prospective customer like here's these thousand (laughs) different things that you probably need right like is that does that get overwhelming just the amount of things that you know (laughs) <laughs> Again, I have to I have to remember that I uh, I've been only doing this for like 10 minutes. But right. yeah, I, I think you have to I think you you try not to eat the elephant all at once. Right. Yeah. Like I think it's I think each customer is gonna be a little bit different and their appetite for information consumption is gonna be a little different, right? Like yep. it's easy for you to say, Hey, you're overpaying on your fiber circuit, you know, at renewal, you consider moving it. Like that's easy, right? Like right. it's like, hey, you, does your phone system work the way you want it to? Yeah, okay, great. Or no, we can do that, right? Like, but it's but it's that next level, right? Like I just uh it's it's that next level of like, hey, um, like, have you ever thought about this, right? Have you ever thought about an IoT project? Let me just get you some information on it. You know, down the road, we can talk about it further, right? I think you just need to, have you looked at, you know, desktop as a service? Or have you looked at, you know, uh, what's your DR strategy look like? What are you using right now? You know, like, so it's it's some of those things. And I'm finding that the IT people, um, if they have internal IT folks, those people have their head wrapped around it. They have like a bit of like the answers. They may not know like, some of the things that they're not like sort of looking at in terms of like future proofing things, but they know exactly what's in the, in the ecosystem for them currently right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they can give you the examples or, or they can give you the answers to what you're, what you're asking. But if you're going after like a, a lot of partners I know go after it from a financial perspective, whether it's cost reduction or a way in through the finance people or whatever, like it's, um, they don't know the answers to the questions. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and if you, and if you're, if you're a partner and you're going in going, Hey, I could save you money. Right. Like you're setting an expectation that may not be met. 
right? Like it might get you in the door, but if you can't actually do cost reduction as part of your analysis or whatever you're doing for the customer, like, you know, then you're letting, you're, you're setting the wrong expectation. It's okay. I think to take a look at, to say to the, this is what I've been doing. I've just been saying, Hey, let's take a look at your entire technology ecosystem, how you're spending money and where you're spending it. We'll do, we'll analyze what you're doing. And it, you know, if there's a chance for cost reduction, that would be part of what we look at, right? Mm. Like this way, I'm not saying, Hey, let me take a look at your stuff and there's, we'll save you money. Right. Like, right. cause I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. And t- like they, I may not be able to save you money or I might ask them to spend more money, but it might be something that they want to spend money on or find value in it, whether it's new cybersecurity thing or what, you know, a technology that makes the business more efficient that they don't mind spending the money on. Right. Mm. Do you think, I mean, you brought up Daz, so I wanted to ask you <clears throat> just because you've been, you've obviously done a ton of work with us um, in the past and uh, more than likely we will in the future. But like, do you think that Daz should be a part of more conversations than it is? And do you think it's just like still in its infancy or, or what's your thought on that? Yeah, it's interesting. I think a, a lot of the, the partner community isn't super familiar with with it uh, enough to have either conversations or even ask a bunch of questions around it. I think it has its place uh, in applications and some of uh, specific verticals too, right? I think like specific verticals are are more inclined to find the need for it, especially post COVID now with work remote and whatever else. I think, I think there definitely is an opportunity there and evolve is one of the few in the channel ecosystem that um, that does it. And, you know, I mean, I guess it's a commercial. We didn't talk about this. I'm not trying to do a commercial for Evolve, but you guys are like the 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 best option for it, right? Like that I see personally, right? Like, so it's, um, but I do think like, if you can get yourself comfortable with it as a partner to ask the questions and, or at the very least, like wrap your head around like what it is so that you can, Again, just inform the customers like, hey, you know, like what's what's it look like when this happens for you? Would it be helpful if I talk to you about desktop as a service? Mm-hmm. Do you are you familiar with that even looks like? Right. Like um, and it, like in, again, Mr. Customer, like even if you don't take advantage of it today, it's good information for you to know that it's out there, you know, for six months or 18 months from now if you decide to go that route, right. As a potential, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, but I, I don't think, I don't think it's a one size fits all. I think none of it is. I think you really have to be consultative to your customer and really find out like what's driving right. their business and you know, what their appetite is for certain things. Right. Well, and I've been asking about it a lot lately and, and it's, I think it's interesting when we, you know, everybody's talking about security right now and there's a, all these security solutions being offered. And I think obviously, you know, it's important, you know, I, there's technology has come so far, but I think um, I wanted to get your, your opinion on like the potential for, for DAS as a security solution, given that the data never actually leaves the data center, right? So it doesn't, you know, it's, it's only complementary to the security posture of these organizations. And I, I just think it's interesting that it's not being talked about more because inherently it is secure. Like you're, you know, and then considering like, let's say you do have a breach, you know, 
what is the, and I'm, I'm curious to ask you, like, what is, what does a security solution do once the breach happens? Like it, it'll protect it, but then like, what happens if, you know, where, where does the data go? Like, you know, what, what, what's the continuity plan after that? That's, that's why I'm, I just think it's interesting. Like it's not a part of more of these security conversations. Yeah. Well, I think the security space is super competitive right now and also very yeah. clouded. Right. Like I think that like people, there's ton of like, there's so much in the way of like, call it like even on-prem or even cloud-based security. There's just so many options out there yeah. that I think like some of the people are really confused. It's like EDR, MDR and like, you know, like are, are like the big ones or, you know, multi-factor or like whatever it might be. Those are like the big ones, but like, you never know you're competing with, you know, you're going into some of these customers and I've already seen this now, like they're like, they have some MSP that they have had a 15 year relationship with that, you know, put in Arctic wolf. Okay. And they think that they're all set, right? Like they think that the, whatever Arctic wolf, you know, appliance they put in and whatever the policy is, is they don't have to worry about anything else. Right. Like, so it's, there, there's a there's a thousand different things. There's uh, I just talked to Threat Blocker the other day, which handles you know things that that uh, don't even get to your network, right? Then there's you know this other thing called the Cyber Crucible that you know remediates ransomware, and it's like there's just it's very clouded, right? Unless you're a security yeah. expert, like you're you're never going to really fully unless you immerse yourself and really dive into you know being a security expert you're never really going to understand and be able to handle everything so i just going back to the earlier thing i think you just need to and you know and and desktop as a service is the same way right like i think there is a you know there's an application for that but i i think you need to i i'm no expert on security for you know by many means but like but i'm i'm okay calling the you know, the James Morrison's at Intellisys or the Ivan Painters or like, I, I'm okay calling those guys to be like, Hey dude, I, I, I need you to jump in on this. Right. Like, right. You know, the guys at the guys at green pages have been great too. Right. For me. Right. Like uh, they have a good security, but like thrives good. Like, I mean, like there's, there's endless, I guess my point is there's endless resources out there. Yeah. You just need to, you just need to be okay. You know, leaning on them. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. <clears throat> I know you got to run and we've, uh, we've gone over quite a bit and I appreciate it, but, uh, we probably could go on for another hour. Um, <laughs> uh, my last thing I, I always like to ask, you know, if you had to give your younger self when you're starting out in the technology space advice, what would it be? And we'll end it with that. Um, I would say my younger self specific to me, specific to you or, Maybe just mm. to anybody that might be starting out, um, you know, in the in the in the channel or in the technology ecosystem. Yeah, two different two different answers, I guess. If it's uh, not just specific to me, specific to me, I would say be nicer to people. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, kind of like bull in a china shop in my earlier years, um, hard charging sales guy. Like, and I and I, you know. Um, I probably should have like worked on my soft skills a little bit more. Um, I would say, you know, for everybody, um, do whatever you can, you know, be a good person, do the right thing, even if it hurts, 
don't try to, if you're a salesperson, a supplier, don't try to be the one size fits all and, you know, jamming your solution into a customer that, you know, isn't going to go well. And then you're going to ruin your reputation with the, with the customer as well as the partner, right? Like if it's something that's not going to be a good fit, you know, punt on it early and the partner community will respect you more for it. If saying, Hey man, this, this isn't the right fit for us. So let's get the next one. You know, like, you're, um, I did that years and years ago with some partners down in Florida. They asked me for something at, when I was at Megapath and I said, not the right fit. I'm not going to put you in this position. And, you know, three years later, I was in IntelliSys and I saw them in an event and they said, Hey man, we really respected you for, for that one conversation we had with you. Right. So, so you never know. It's to your point, like, people move around and it's a small community, you know, like, and you only get one really reputation and you can do a lot of things right and do one thing wrong. And everyone will remember the one thing wrong. So be a good person, do the right thing, work hard. Um, and I, and I feel like it'll be, you're, you'll find success. I love it. All right, sir. Thank you so much you. for coming on. We'll end it there. Um, I guess for, for everybody to, to try to find you, I, I take it you're active on LinkedIn and what's your, what's your new website uh, domain? Yeah, it's uh, topspintech.net. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, we got to do this again. I'd love to see, you know, in a few months from now, uh, how everything's going for you. So we'll yeah. definitely have you back on. So I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks. Talk to you. That's a wrap on this episode of the Channel Champions podcast. You can find this and all our episodes on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite streaming platforms. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, guests, or topics, please reach out to us. We appreciate you coming along with us on this journey and hope you'll be back for the next episode. Until then, stay tuned, stay connected, and stay inspired.